How does one even begin to acknowledge the tragedy of this country's latest school shooting? Yesterday, as of this recording, 19 children and two teachers were killed by a gunman in Uvalde, Texas. I live just a short 15-minute drive from Newtown, Connecticut, and 10 years ago, my community faced the senseless killing of innocent children and educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School with disbelief, horror, and then resolve. This could never happen again, could it? Surely, we would never allow this to happen again. But here we are, and so everyone at RNBC Life could not release an episode dedicated to the love we have for the children in our lives without saying something. Words are cheap, but let us all work together as a society to change the tragic and criminal disregard for human life that exemplifies this country's gun laws and the politicians who are propped up by greed and gun lobbies. We stand with the children, the parents, the families, and the community of Uvalde, Texas. We mourn with you. Season four of the RMBC Life podcast from Share Cancer Support, dedicated to exploring life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us, the people living with this disease, and the experts who partner with us to help make our lives better. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Laudico, and I'm so glad you're here. We continue with our special series on MBC and parenting. We already released our panel of parents, some of us here at the podcast, and in it, we shared our fears, our struggles, and, oh gosh, the guilt of it all, as some of us parent kids while living with this disease. The final episode of this series, to be released in just a few short weeks, will have experts talk to us about what we should remember while parenting. Today we go to the main reason this issue is something we care deeply about here at the podcast, the kids and the young people we love in our lives. We thought it made sense to hear directly from them what they actually think about cancer and how it has changed things. We had the opportunity to speak to kids as young as six, and we also spoke with three thoughtful young women who lost their mothers to MBC and cancer when they were still in their teens or in their first years of college. We wanted to hear from the kids living with a parent who has MBC today, and we also wanted to find out how the kids who lost a parent are really coping. None of us want to leave our kids early in their lives. Speaking with all of these kids gave us a degree of solace to know that with love, spoiler alert, We find that the kids are all right, and we hope you agree. Here's senior producer and co-host Natalia Green leading us off with the first interview as she speaks with her daughter, Rosie. We all love Natalia's way of explaining how she'll always be a part of Rosie's life. Have a listen. Okay. My name is Natalia Green. My name is Rosie Green. 
And six years old, and school is super fun when you play a lot. My favorite thing about it yeah. is how you how you with me. You like when I cuddle with you? I love cuddling with you too. Do you remember when I told you about my cancer? Yeah. What did I say to you? The whole thing was so long. Can you think of one thing I told you about my cancer? Where is my cancer? It, it's all around your body, and you have to go to the doctor a bunch of times. You have to sometimes like sleep in there usually. What do you know about my breast cancer? They die super fast. I'm alive now. I haven't died yet. Yeah, but it's going. To, I think it's going to take a couple more days, and you're going to start dying. Well, I hope that doesn't happen soon. What what things have what kind of things happened to mom? Do I go to the doctors a lot? Yeah, and you get shots. I do get shots. Do you think they hurt me? No. No way, because mommy's so tough. How does it make you feel that mommy has cancer? I don't sad. Why does it make you feel sad? Because you have to get don't. a bunch of shots and like a bunch of things. And like when you're grown up, it doesn't hurt, but sometimes it does, and it feels super worried and like a bunch of things. You feel worried that mommy yeah. has cancer? I don't want you to feel worried about me having cancer. Why? What things do you worry about? It's how you get a bunch of shots and like a bunch of things, but it doesn't hurt. But kids are super worried. I'm worried if you could die faster. You're worried that I'm going to die faster from breast cancer? Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen, huh? Can you get cancer from touching mommy? No! No way, because only mommy has cancer, not Rosie. What kind of things have happened to mom because I get cancer? What happens to my hair? It gets bald. It does get bald. I made a video where your hair started growing a little bit, but you're mostly bald. When mommy can't do stuff, who does stuff for you? Daddy! We get lots of help, don't we? Yeah. Mommy, Daddy, Grandma, Carla, they all help us so much when I don't feel very good. Who do you tell that Mommy has cancer? Who have you told before? Samuels. Olivia, Samuel, like mostly all my friends. Do you tell your teachers? Nope. You do. <laughs> Your teachers tell me you tell them. <laughs> what do you say to them? I said, my mom has breast cancer, that's it. You say my mom has breast cancer, and what do they say to you? He <laughs> said, oh. What if you found out one of your friend's moms has cancer? What would you tell your friends to make them feel better? I say, oh. I would say, it'll be fine. I hope he doesn't die fast. How about we tell them... It's okay if your mom has cancer. And it's okay if you feel sad if your mom has cancer. And it's okay if you worry if mommy has cancer. Sometimes our mommies and daddies will get better. And sometimes they won't. But you never get better. I, I might not get better, but I might not die. And that will be good, right? Do you ever worry that mommy's going to die? How does that make you feel? It makes you feel sad that I might die? Yeah. I'm sorry that makes you feel sad. I would be sad too if I died. I don't want to die. 
here though. No. What would happen if mommy died? What would you do? I would die like you. You would die too? But not for a very long time. I would tell dad to give a knife and just shove it in my heart. You would tell dad to shove a knife in your heart? <laughs> yes. Why? Because I want to die and we both be ghosts and we will be friends forever. We both can be ghosts and be friends forever? Yeah. I think we can be friends forever, even if I'm dead and you're alive. No, I want to touch you and love you forever. So, Mommy doesn't want to die of cancer and doesn't want to leave you. But the type of cancer I have is called metastatic breast cancer. And it could make Mommy really sick and die. But I'm trying to do everything better right now so I can feel better and stay alive for you and Daddy and Iggy. What did mommy tell you? If you're sad and I'm not around or if I die, how can we be together forever? I'm having half of our hearts. Half of our hearts? Yes. Daddy when gives you what? A heart and your mom gives you a heart. And it makes a baby heart, huh? Yeah. And that's how we can be together forever. All right, love you. I love you too. Goodbye, my friends. <laughs> Goodbye, my friends. Can I have a kiss? Yeah. Thank you, babes. <laughs> I had the opportunity to speak to the two youngest sons of Jamil Rivers, a frequent contributor and guest to the podcast. What a privilege to speak to Michael, almost 11, and Joshua, age 9. For time, we had to cut our awesome conversation about the merits of the Spider-Man franchise, and we all agreed that the latest movie was up to our very high standards. I started at the beginning with asking Michael what he thought cancer was. Just that gets into your, you can get it like maybe from eating too much fat or too many, like not going out much and it, it can get into you and hurt and spread and it leads to losing hair, having to take medication. All of that stuff. Joshua, do you have anything that you want to add to that? You know how the body is like a machine and a spaceship is a machine and you try to take care of it, but if you make a mistake and spaceship, that's like when you have cancer and the body makes a mistake. All right, Joshua, you're the next question, okay? Mm -hmm. Do you like to know when your mom is going to treatment, like whenever she's going to the doctor and that sort of thing. Is that something you like to know? Mm-hmm. Because I know when she's at home. And what about you, Michael? Yes, because one time, um, mom went off somewhere. We thought she was going to the hospital clinic, but she actually stopped off somewhere. And we remember she was, so we got worried though. So, yeah, I want to know where she is at all times. <laughs> you want to know where she is at all times. How does mom feel about that? <laughs> They're like my little secret service. I no. think so. You know about cancer? Do you know what metastatic breast cancer is? It's, I said it's the a disease that gets in your body and tries to put you down. But you right. back up and mm-hmm. up and up. Yeah, that's right. It's when the disease is in your body, when the cancer goes to other parts of your body. Yeah. How much do you think about your mom's cancer? Uh, pretty much because my um, nana just experienced cancer. And it's really hard on her. So 
We saw that visit on the weekends. And my dad had cancer two times, so I just look out for the fam, like family, just in case anything happens. And she is the main source. She's the, she's the main thing that I want because she's right next to me and I can look at her and protect her. <laughs> I see why you have a Secret Service badge for your mom. That's great. And I love that, Michael, you mentioned that your dad had cancer not once but twice and your Nana is going through it right now or dealing with it. So thank you for mentioning those two really important things. Joshua, what do you think about your mom's cancer? I think about a time from talking to you in the middle of the day. Is there a particular time during the day? Is it during math class or is it during gym or... Recess? Maybe when I see her have a meeting or mm, mm, mm. yeah, mostly when I see her on a meeting because I know she's talking about cancer and how to help people. Do you talk to your friends, Michael, about the fact that your mom has cancer? Yes. Um yes, I talk about it, but some people um say it as funny in a moment, but I don't like that, so I just like tell them to you be quiet. And talking about cancer isn't really in a fun way. Uh, if you talk about cancer, at least be like respectful to other people because you have no idea who is suffering in the world having to take these medication and. They don't have to talk about it because they're not feeling the same way. And if they could talk about it, then if they took it seriously, then they must have seen someone have cancer in their family once before. And with all of the group here, I think that pretty seriously. I like what you're saying, Michael, that it's really important for people to remember that you never know what someone else is going through and that cancer impacts almost every single family. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel like a little disappointed, mad, blood boiling of anger, sad, and is understanding. Yeah. You know what, Michael? I've had all of those feelings, every single one of them, because I really think by identifying our emotions, sometimes it makes us feel less alone. By saying it out loud, it makes us feel less like we're just experiencing it ourselves. I feel the same emotions that you have, same ones. Totally get it. How do you feel about it, Joshua? He does ask how I feel about cancer, and I feel a little bit normal. I feel normal. What would you tell kids your age who have a parent living with cancer? What advice would you give them? Don't be mad, sad. Yes, be strong. Try to be strong. Friend, as you can see, your mom or dad has cancer. And you feel really worried or sad that they're in this state. And you try to help them the best you can, but um, you feel like it's not enough. But if I um, talk to them, if you are doing everything you can, then all the mom needs. She needs love, support, and care. Just like we support mom. And if you're doing enough that you think you are, 
It's actually helping in a process. That's all. I couldn't agree more. Next, you'll hear from one of our co-hosts, Delta James, interview her four lovely daughters. What is your name and how old are you? You can go first. Okay, my name is Charlotte and I am seven years old. Just seven. <laughs> you are seven. All right. Next. Oh. I'm Kirsty and I'm, and I'm nine. I'm Zaina and I'm 14. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about me, your mama? Um, Charlotte. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? What is your favorite thing about me? Oh, my hair. It changes a lot, huh? All right. Anyone else want to throw theirs in? Favorite thing about me? I like to talk to you. You have good advice. Do you remember when I told you that I had cancer? No? All right. So I was successful in not traumatizing, I suppose. You do remember. Tell me about it. You said you had cancer the first time you ever said it to me and a few times after I forgot. Okay. Yes. I have to bring it up sometimes. Or do you tend to forget that I have cancer? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think you forget that I have cancer? Eh, I don't know. I can't hear. Is it because I, I is it because I look I don't look sick? Whenever you start to change, you don't see. Oh, you're saying when I change you can see my port, so then you remember that I have cancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you know about my cancer? Nothing. Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. What would you like to say, Chrissy? I go to the doctors. That's right. That's something you know about my cancer. How does it make you feel that you have a mom who has cancer? Great. Great. When your mom has cancer, I'm sure it's very at the forefront of your mind. And it's like more reality. It feels weird. Yeah, that makes sense, too. I feel weird all the time that I have cancer. What kind of questions did you have? When I was diagnosed with cancer. Because mm. I don't really remember when it's going on. That's a good point. You did say that. Yeah. yeah. What do you tell your friends about my breast cancer? I feel like I don't really talk about it that much. But, like, I've talked about it with my teachers or something. Like, sometimes he'll, like, bring up stuff about, like, for, like, scenarios, like, when he's talking about something. Mm. So sometimes I'll bring that up. And he was talking about if suddenly you... I had to go to someone else. And I was like, oh, actually, my mom was one time talking to me about if I had a wedding, who would I walk with if she wasn't there? So I was like, I don't know if I would want my nana to know because she like would be stressed. So mm-hmm. I was like, Miss Trisha, you're the my best friend. Yeah. yeah. That's who you would want to walk you down the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> That's the person who would feel most like I was there because we were very similar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you did share that. How do you think people get cancer? Do you think it's, is it contagious? Is it something people can just catch from someone else? No, but I heard that if someone in your family had it, then sometimes you're more likely to get it. Mm -hmm. So hereditary, genetic, especially when I did genetic testing and I have a mutation, uh, a BRCA mutation, and not everyone gets an answer for why did you get cancer. 
But in my case, that was a provided answer. But you definitely don't catch cancer from anyone else. It's not about something that you did or that you ate. Yes, it's definitely not like a virus. What do you know about metastatic breast cancer? What do you think metastatic breast cancer is? And just so you know, that is the type of breast cancer that I have. Breast cancer is a cancer that starts obviously in the breast. There's different types of cancers. It could start anywhere in the body. And what makes the cancer metastatic is when it moves beyond where it started. So like my primary tumor was in my breast and then the cancer moved to my liver and that's what made it. So it moved to an organ and that it could also move to bones, brain, and that made it metastatic. Do you like to know what's going on with my cancer? Do you like to know when I have treatment scheduled? Sometimes. Um, I pretty much know when you do. Mm -hmm. Try to keep you in the loop. Do you like to know when I'm having scans and the results of scans? Sometimes I do wonder. Yeah. Is that because it just will make you feel better what's going on? Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Things are getting better for treatment that I'm on is working. And how often do you guys think about the fact that I have cancer? Often, not very often. Honestly, not very often. I don't really okay. yeah. Me either. <laughs> because we we're do a lot of busy. stuff. We're pretty we're pretty busy because life carries on, oh, right? Cancer yeah. does not um stop the show or take over the show even completely. All right. What do you think would happen to you if I died from cancer? Probably You would be sad. What are we living? Yes, we'll be sad and probably have to go live with Nana. You live with Nana? Okay. What do you think? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think would happen to me if I died from cancer? Oh, uh, you could do <laughs> First of all, no. I do not wish to be buried. Thank you very much. I would like to be cremated. Actually, I would like to be as a... a version of cremation called water cremation aquamation and that is why we like to have happened to me we will celebrate which sounds weird to say when someone dies but a celebration of someone's life of how they lived yes that was definitely now i know it's just celebrating how someone lived yeah that's what happens and that's definitely what i would want to happen do you guys feel like you would have a lot of support around you? Yes. If it wasn't me? Yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot of support, like other people who would step in and take good care of you. No. No? <laughs> really? <laughs> what about me? Well, would you like to know that I can definitely confirm that you you do have a lot of support? No. Yep. Uh, How many friends does Nani have? What advice would you give a kid? whose parent was diagnosed with cancer. Someone who was a friend or a family member to like really get into something to distract them from that because that's worked with me, like very big coping things. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like if they already have them. And writing is something that I like to do. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest writing. And if they don't like writing, 
other things mm-hmm. that they like. Yeah. Gosh, but I feel like even if someone doesn't like writing, it's just like universally yeah. and you don't have to be good at it or anything, but it's so helpful. What about you, Mika? Any advice you would give to another kid nope. whose parents got diagnosed with cancer? Nope, I don't know. No? Just say sorry. Just say sorry. If you have nothing else you can think of, just, just say, say sorry. sorry. Yeah. That's that's not bad advice, I would say. Have you ever known anyone else with a parent who has NBC? What's that mean? Metastatic <laughs> breast cancer, what mom has. My friend, she, her mom was talking about one of her friends or something that had the same thing as you. And she said she got way better and she's doing just fine here. That's a, the okay. only person I can think of. All right. What makes you feel supported? through all of this through my diagnosis strong advocates for therapy and his family some of your friends and your therapist that's good it's good to have friends who make you feel supported thank you guys for speaking with us today that means a lot to mom (laughs) we next hear from our senior producer and co-host Lisa Ladico she interviews her adult sons about their experience having a mother with NBC. My name is Matthias. I'm 24 years old. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm Alex, 22 years old. Thank you for having me. All right. How old were you when you first found out that I had metastatic breast cancer? I was in my junior year. And this was 17, five 18 years ago. So yeah, it was probably around 17. Mm-hmm. And I would have been 19. Yeah. Wow. How did you find out? I remember it was, we just came back from somewhere. I don't remember where, but I know we, we came back from like a drive or something. Yeah. And, and you and dad just sat us down. Hey, we have some news, not good news, but news. And, and I remember being very bare bones because you guys also weren't really in the know yet. You didn't really mm-hmm. have much of anything to give us but it was mostly just saying hey this is the situation that we're in now process it how you want to process it because there's really no other way to do that you can't really drop any information of that kind and just be like hey this is how it is peace i'm getting i'm getting beer it's it's more it's a thing that affects the entire family so it's dealt with a certain amount of i don't know how to describe it properly maybe respect it was such a surreal moment i remember calling on my friends just letting him know and then just leaving the house for a bit just having to process it i didn't tell anybody for a month it was such a strange thing because for the longest time even now you really don't show many outward signs i mean when you start eyebrows and eyelashes but other than that you look Mm -hmm. fucking great I mean, and that's frankly chic these days, by the way, Ma. Like, if you go by Parsons these days, they're shaving off their own eyebrows. You're ahead of the curve. I'm serious. Oh, I'm you're so glad you did that. He's shaves and covering himself in Purell. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good look. Yeah. I remember when we were told, it was, I was talking with Alex about it. Because mm-hmm. I, don't know, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've seen you or seen mom physically ill. Maybe two or three yeah. times, like with the flu or something. Like uh, nothing specific. I can never remember. Yeah. yeah, but like that's the extent to which I have memory of in my brain, mom and sick. 
it's it, you've always been healthy you've always been active you've always been very proactive in your life and sometimes things slip the cracks which while unfair and terrible is is life and something that we have to deal with but the, the biggest thing about it is you never think it's going to happen to you with all the big events in your life you never think it's going to happen to you so maybe an acquaintance, something like that. But it becomes such a different reality when it happens to you. Okay, yeah, you know about cancer, you've got breast cancer, it's everywhere. You hear about it all the time, but it's still an abstract concept, something related to relegated to media and, and other interactions. So when it becomes a reality to you, it opens up this whole other world of, okay, shit, I have to be able to deal with this. This is my life now. This is the dynamic now. Alex, you mentioned that you just don't think it's going to ever happen to you. Do either one of you have friends or people in your world who've had parents who've died of metastatic breast cancer or cancer in the past? Closest friends, I met in elementary school, Mark Green lost his mother. I believe it was metastatic breast cancer. Yeah, yes. it was metastatic yeah, it was. breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, close family friend. But this happened when I was in elementary school, around third grade. And everything's a fucking concept at that point. It's, there's no data for you. It's all kind of abstract. Everything's new. So hearing about it and being around what happened in the third grade, there's no context to it. It was very just out of nowhere. And then it was over kind of thing, which, is, which was brutal. But just I had awareness of it. But again, it was never really real until it became... A thing that happened to us. Yeah. What about you, Matthias? My roommate, my freshman year of college, Nolan, his father had been battling pancreatic cancer or something like that for something like 10 years. And he passed long after your diagnosis, maybe when I was 22. Yeah, my senior year, he, he passed away. I never, living with someone in particular who's going through that while I was aware that his experience was a potential future of mine it's something to take note of yeah yeah what did you learn anything from nolan and how he handled his father's diagnosis and then death nolan really has been a wonderful friend to me through this especially given his particular experience but he's dealt with the whole situation with incredible poise frankly incredible i want to say is that you can try and prepare i guess you can look to others for how they react or what they do, but there's nothing that can really prepare you for what happens or what will happen or what's going on. As much as you can empathize with people, as much as you can relate and imagine, it doesn't match what actually happens to yourself, like your own yeah. personal experience. It's different for everybody, but it's it's nothing that you can be prepared for. But it's a brutal reality of it. I'm just glad to have met Nolan. Still living life. It is comforting to me to know that in this worst case scenario, Nolan still functions. I like that you note that your friend has been able to laugh again and live his life and live a fulfilling life. It's a thing that we can know. You know that you want us to be happy and good and well after you go. But it's another thing entirely to be able to reckon that in my head to think, okay, yeah, I'm going to be able to rock this after she's gone. I'm going to be able to do all this stuff. It's because you've always been here. 
domain. Yeah. So it's really very difficult to take that need and want of yours and be able to say, yes, this is going to happen. Because when you go, it's going to be unlike anything the family's ever had to do. It's so outside of the ballpark for us. The, the planning is, is strange. Yeah. Mm. It's definitely valuable for sure. I'm not going to deny that it's a, like a pragmatic and, 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 and valuable you know, thing to do. I will say the experience of, of talking to you guys has been very good. For me, at least. Obviously, outside of the, the nature of the news that is typically delivered. We hear a lot of stuff from you, which is great. But the thing is, it's all like high-level medical science. Medical science. You know? <laughs> it's all words with like 10 consonants and 13 vowels. And it's okay. These are big words, and they obviously mean something scary. It's, it's hard to con- conceptualize it, really, because it's okay. I've got no medical background. I've done like a little bit of research when I can like muster up the courage and okay, I know it's metastatic breast cancer. I know what stage it is. I know when you got it. And I, I know some of the hot words, oh, the cancer markers went up or, oh, there's something in the lips nodes or blah, 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 blah. So I hear these words and I know they mean, but it's hard to really be like without jumping into it and just driving myself mad with greed. I have to be able to say, okay, yeah. Tell me like the big things. So I'm like not out of the loop completely, but also I just don't have enough information to take this information and really do anything with it productive. Yeah. Other than just being like, oh God, oh geez, this is terrifying. It's important to know what's happening, but it's also important to like understand, okay, we hear these things. We still don't really know what they mean. That's been difficult. Never a good idea to Google it. Because like Alex just said, a couple wrong constants and you have a totally different class of cancer that is information that's not relevant. But even when we were first told, I remember it being very, not like severe, like it was more of a, I guess we've never really had announcements like that previous, <laughs> previously in family, but it like, mm-hmm. it didn't come off to me and it still doesn't come off to me as DEFCON red. Yeah. Launder your black clothes. Okay. Again, I think that it's interesting that you both decided, no, I'm not going to Google it or only sometimes Google it. Oh, I've Googled it. I've just broken that habit. Okay. It's important to know where you're at and be able to understand what's happening in your life because it's such an important aspect of ours. It's just important to also realize like, okay, we are so out of the loop in general. Yeah. This, I mean, even five, especially five years ago, when we first it was so far out of left field for us. No concept of this issue. If you Google, like, my mom has stage four breast cancer, the results are not good. (laughs) This whole process for me has been this weird pre morning that the entire family has been doing. Yes. Oh, yeah. and, and there's a name for it, actually, Alex. It's called mm-hmm. anticipatory grief. It's like you're yeah. anticipating, I'm still well, here, but you're anticipating someday she's not going to be here. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's along with so many other things. It's, it's you're still here. I don't want to be sad for the time that we have, but it's, it, it's impossible. Yeah. To, it's such a weird, nebulous feeling that's hard mm-hmm. to pin down and be right. like, okay. Here's what's happening. Here's what I'm feeling. And this is why it's okay. Logically, my mom's still here. Logically, 
she still can do all the things that she enjoys doing. Yeah. However, I know there's this other thing in the background that's like casting a pail over all this. I went through a lot of the grieving stages and I, it's not time to grieve yet, which is so exhausting. It's insane. I'm, I'm sure everyone feels this way because it's like their mom. I'm not an objective you know, source here, but like, you're also my mom who, who is an impactful person. <laughs> like there's all throughout my life. You're a figure of influence, like obviously to me, but also to like the people around me, yeah. you know, the schools I'm at or teachers, friends of mine, whatever. For me, I worry sometimes that I'm not worried enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like I'm not preparing you enough? The world is unprepared. <laughs> yes. There is the, the world. There's no infrastructure. My whole life. The best way you can describe it is okay, how do you prepare for losing like an arm? Yeah. Like, okay, you're going to lose an arm at some point. You don't exactly know when. Yeah. How do you prepare for that? How, it's something that has been with you your entire life. It's been such a support. It's been such an integral right. part of everything that you fucking do. How do you prepare for that to just suddenly not be there? Something not, and to know it's not going to be there. Mom, you've heard me say this before. It, it's like the not knowing part that's yeah. that's super brutal. Yeah, it's really tough on everyone. Uh, it's the unknown on whether is it another year? Is it another two years how i described it before it's you're on a river in a raft and there has got bends but you can hear a waterfall you can't see the waterfall but you can hear it was there and it can be around the next bend it can be around three others it can just be a small waterfall yeah. you don't know and that's the terrifying part because okay you can know that this thing is you can't see it you can't really tell when it's gonna come what's coming yeah. and that it adds to this whole uncertainty and dread. And it's the, the most important thing that I learned is to know that you're not in that raft alone. Yeah. Spot the people you're with. And then also once that waterfall does come and you go over it together, you got to be ready to kind of tread water and help people out. Have you all seen the movie Seven Psychopaths? It's, yeah. Classic film, Christopher Walken, same guy who did in Bruges. Excellent. There's a scene at the end of it where Sam Rockwell is holding this dog of some criminal hostage, and the crazy guy is trying to shoot Sam Rockwell, but his gun keeps jamming. It's like a five minute bit they do where he's trying to fix the gun, and Sam Rockwell's yelling at him for having a broken gun, and it's a whole thing. But it, for me, it feels less like a raft, for me personally at least, and more like there's a guy. Like just some lunatic with the who doesn't maintain his firearms, mm. and it's just this gun. He keeps trying to shoot my Answer mom. There is the lunatic just continuously, <laughs> but his gun keeps jamming. But you know, eventually, <laughs> but, guns usually shoot bullets. Mm-hmm. Eventually, something's going to happen. Yeah, and and you're just looking at this guy like messing with this guy. That's a really good analogy because there's ups and downs. Really, you'll right. hear one thing like, "Oh, you're doing great this week," and then mm-hmm. next week, "Oh." He's, he's aiming. <laughs> oh, he missed. It's a guessing game, and it's 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 and it's like you're playing Russian roulette, but there's no rules, and you don't see the gun. I really love. I think your analogy of the raft is really beautiful. In that, 
we're all in the raft together, right? We're a family and stuff happens within a family and things happen that we would choose not to have happen, but we're in this raft and we know there's danger ahead. Just like with life, guaranteed, death comes at the end of life. Death is part of life and both of you fully understand that. And then you're in this raft and you're eventually going to go over this waterfall and I won't be in the raft anymore with you. You're going to land at the end of this beautiful waterfall, but you're going to be in this raft of our family. So do you feel like you're equipped to pick out your paddles outside of that raft? That's the thing. It's yes. You've taught us so much. Dad's taught us so much. We've lived lives. We have skills in order to make these lives work. It's the lead up and the direct aftermath that is like the hardest part going off that waterfall and then hitting hitting the bottom it's i have no idea how i'm going to be when that finally happens i have no idea there's no possible way i can really parse that it's so far out of what i've dealt with as a human but the biggest thing that i've learned is yes we're all on the raft together and we all do shit that affects the raft are we going to go off this waterfall upright or are we going to go off it each pad like doggy paddling away from this inevitability it's easy to feel like you're going through things alone especially with things like this but the most important thing to remember is that literally everybody else in your family is going through it with you and you gotta be there for each other it's impossible to prepare for really, but the best thing that we can do is just be like, okay, we're in this together. When we do go over this waterfall, we gotta link up. We gotta lean on each other. It's paramount to know that you're not in this deep water alone. Yeah, for sure. How, do you both have any advice for another young adult who learns that their parent is living with a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis? It is okay to feel sad that your mom has cancer. Yeah. That is totally reasonable. Yeah. You got a good life outside of that? Okay. Your mom has cancer. It's okay to be sad. It sucks. Yeah. I think that's a really, that's a really valuable thing to say too. Literally you everybody know? else in the family is feeling that same thing. Yeah. The only thing that will happen if you say like, hey, I'm not doing okay, is that you get help. Yeah. Is that, is that people are like, yeah, no shit. Tell right? your friends about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lean on your friends, lean on your family. Mm-hmm. Just, just talk about it. Just be open to a conversation about what you're going through. And no that, one's going to like. Yeah. It's, you're going to cry a lot. Yeah. You're gonna, it's not easy. It's so not easy. But you have to do it. Yeah. You have to be able to just say, this is what I'm going through. Yeah. I think this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's value to, there's no solve or anything like that. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a thing you got to roll with Mm -hmm. the advice you'll get. is just, man, that sucks. And like, that's the extent of it, but there's value in that. You can take solace in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's simple advice, but you have to acknowledge that shit sucks sometimes. Yeah. It's rough yeah. what we're going through. It's rough what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you, you're never going to acknowledge it. You're never going to be able to get through it. Yeah. I think the thing that you're saying is that 
you're not sure what it's going to look like. And it's really interesting because I'm not sure what it's going to look like as I decline. So as I decline, it may mean that I have a different chemo and it means I'll lose my hair for sure. The declining depends on how the cancer progresses and how that debilitates me further. We don't know, but we tell you everything we know as soon as we know it. Yeah. And I think that's the best that we can do in the constant communication of it. But anticipatory grief, which is what you both alluded to, this sort of, I'm here, I'm not going to be here in 10 years in all likelihood. So there's that loss of future. You need to grieve that now. It's part of the grieving process, but also to live with joy as much as you can in the future and now. As promised, we wanted to hear from kids of all ages who have parents living with MBC now. And we also promised that you would hear from young adults who lost a parent to MBC or cancer when they were younger. The first person we speak with is Vivian Pham, and she is joined by our own Miranda Gonzalez. Vivian is a pre-med student about to graduate from college this spring and the co-director of CAMCHESM at the University of Houston. Be sure to listen to a special bonus segment on Camp Kesem, a free camp that serves youth ages 6 to 18 years old who have lost a parent to cancer, have a parent undergoing cancer treatment, or a parent that is a cancer survivor, an estimated population of over 5 million children in the United States. Here's Vivian. So I am originally from Houston, Texas, was born and raised. I I'm now currently living in Katy with my family. We moved here about, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this, seven years ago, but it doesn't feel like it was seven years ago. I am a nutritional science major with a biology minor. When did you learn of your mother's cancer and did you know it was breast cancer? So let's start there. So my mom did have cancer, but it wasn't breast cancer. It was kidney cancer, but there was a really, there was an occurrence, but I found out she had cancer after she already, like after she has her surgery. So it was my eighth grade year. I was a cheerleader in middle school. So I had like my end of the year pep rally and that was what I was focusing on. And My parents pulled me aside with my siblings in their room and they're like, oh, your mom needs to get surgery tomorrow to remove this thing, but it's okay. She'll be fine. They downplayed the whole situation so crazily. And I later found out after she made it through the surgery that her chances of surviving the surgery was like 11%. And it was so crazy to hear that. I didn't even hear that like part until I was a freshman in high school. So all throughout my the rest of my eighth grade year, I was just under the impression that my mom was getting surgery to just like remove a lump in her abdomen. And that was it. That was just what I knew. And then she started doing like different treatments. And that's when I was told that it was actually cancer and it wasn't just like a regular removal of some clump of cells. Yeah. Yeah. And then how old were you when her cancer recurred and metastasized? Yeah. So she, so she did treatment for about a year and a half, I would say. And then she was told she was in like remission. And then it was the end of my junior year of high school. So I would say 17, 
I was 17 years old when my mom started having like very bad bloody noses and it would go on for like weeks on ends and she ended up going to the emergency room like at least I think three times in one month and that's when they told her that the cancer was back but it was just in a completely different location. Did you hear the word stage four or metastasis? What was the language used in your family? Yeah so I think that because my parent, both my parents are English isn't their first language. So when they first heard about that, it took a lot of explaining from their healthcare team to them. And I think they were under the impression that they didn't think that we would understand what those words meant when they told us. But I did just because I'm really interested in the healthcare. And after hearing about my mom, I dove into that. So those were words I was really familiar with. But I ended up explaining those to my sisters. But when they explained it to us, it was more like, so... The cancer in her kidney is gone. However, the cells traveled through her bloodstream and settled in her nasal cavity and now is growing there. So that's the best way they described it to us. And they were they like there was no sugarcoating it just because I think at that stage we were I was a junior in high school. So I was old enough for that. And then my two sisters were. I think one was entering in high school and one was already in high school. So we were both at the age where we understood what was going on. So they were just like, the cancer's back and it's growing and we're going to fight it, but it's back and it's growing really fast. That was the best way they could describe it. I asked if it was like, so I was like, okay, so it's metastasized or what stage are you at? And I don't think my mom and dad really wanted to discuss it necessarily with medical terms, but in regards to, I guess, layman terms, they were just like, it's spreading, it's here, and it's it's back. So that was the best way that they could describe it to us at the time. How did it feel when your mom was going through active treatment after recurrence? Yeah, so I think at that time that I the treatment was happening, I understood it more than I did at the young age of 13, 14. It was kind of like very hard to accept in the sense that it was just happening so fast because we were we went from oh my gosh yeah it's finally gone to okay we're in this battle again so I think at that time it was just kind of go what did I need to do next because since the it was I'm not necessarily quite sure if I remember the medical term but a lot of her treat happened like she went to do her treatment and then so I grew a lot of responsibilities at that time because I could drive. One thing I got used to is that when I would get home and I would see my dad, that's when I knew like my mom had treatment that day. So it was like everyone in our family needed to stay quiet for a little bit until like dinner time, just because that's when my mom would come home and she would rest. Just there was like the side effects of everything. And what we ate changed a lot because there's different diets you have to proceed with. And Honestly, like uh, those little things changed, but it never really changed our family dynamic in how we did things. The only thing that really changed was that like I needed to take my sisters to their soccer practices or pick them up from school more often than my dad did. And then once the treatment here wasn't working out so well, she and then she tried to do like different surgeries. They traveled a lot. So that was when it got really hard because they were traveling during the school time. 
And I had like family members that would come and bring us dinner or come and stay with us, but it was mostly just me and my sisters. So that was a very weird like adjustment, but it's what we did. Did they talk about death at all? Did they talk about the possibility that the cancer treatments won't work? I think for my mom's and dad's like morale, they were very positive with everything because my sisters and I like both we all knew that there was like a huge possibility but we were just really set on this is the fighting spirit like we're gonna keep being positive for my mom and she's gonna keep being like positive for the all of us and so they never really spoke about death it was this unprecedented thing that we all knew I think when she started getting worse a little bit Towards, I guess, my freshman year of college, I talked to my sisters about it, not necessarily my parents, but to my sisters, just so that they both knew they were at home when I went to college. So they they saw her deteriorate a little bit more. So that's when I had to talk with my sister about the possibility. Mm -hmm. I think that my dad never really wanted the reality of speaking about it. And I think that my mom spoke to me about it. So technically, my mom did talk to me about it, but she didn't talk to it with the family setting, if that means. So when she spoke to you about it, how did she approach it? So I come from a very faithful family. So she started off with saying how much she loved me and what's happening and she's going to continue fighting but it was like she never said that I am going to leave soon it was more I'm gonna keep fighting until I can't yeah and then she would tell me things that like I didn't know about what to remember when she was away so she'd be like okay you need to remember this you need to remember that after she told me like some like family things I should know it was never like I'm going away it was more of like when I'm gone I want you to remember these things. How does that feel today that she had those open conversations with you? I think that the honesty is what I appreciated more than anything, because I talked to my parents about this for a long time. When they both agreed not to tell us when she first had it, my sisters and I were upset just because at that young age, you're you're annoying little pieces (laughs) you're just annoying you're focused on yourselves you're going through puberty like you're annoying and so (laughs) at that time I wish they told us what was going on I don't know so I could put life into perspective more at that age I was upset because I was like what if something did happen and I didn't get a chance to say one last hug or anything but my parents at the time were like y'all were so young that we just We wanted you guys to just focus on being a kid. So we're okay. Like deep down, we're still kind of, oh, I wish you told us. So when my mom was super honest with me, like in that moment, I was very happy. It was bittersweet. I didn't want to hear it, but it needed to happen. I think the oldest at least appreciates the honesty is because that you already know what's going on. If your parent has that conversation with you, you already understand. And I think that at that point, you're okay this is not necessarily my life but my life is taking a different turn and that's okay I need to adjust to it but to know all the facts and to know what exactly is going on I think helps you cope with it more because you have all the details of what's going on you already feel so helpless in the situation that you can't do anything for your parent so I think the least that 
you for the kid can do is like to understand what's happening, but to have as much information as possible. You're not really doing anything by knowing all that information, but it just makes you feel like you are in a way just because you're somewhat contributing, somewhat understanding. But I think that also plays with just like how different people deal with things. And for me personally, I appreciated the honesty a lot more during the situation. Do you think that being a an older sibling or like a middle child or a younger sibling, do you think that affects how your parents talk to you? At least in my family household, I started having to pick up a lot more responsibilities afterwards and I had my license. So I think my parents at that point knew that I was, okay, I am willing to do all of this for our family because I want to, but I need honest information from you guys. I was very straight up with my parents in regards to that just because I don't know. I just needed to know what was going on. And I think that my parents wanted to shelter my younger siblings more. And so did I. I think that just comes with being protective of the ones you love. And it was for me personally, I was like, if I could hear more about it and be more a part of it, then my sisters wouldn't have to. So I think you're like, depending on like the sister or like sibling dynamic works, I think parents do talk to them differently. But I found out from my younger siblings that they wish they knew more (laughs) from us after everything happened. Let's talk a little bit about that. As things got tougher for your mom, how did your family prepare for that? It wasn't a shock. I think that at that time when she started getting visibly very bad, I think everyone in the family knew it was coming soon. And at that point, I think for me personally, I had a moment with myself where I was like, I'm being selfish right now, like wanting her to stay, but it's a hard fight. So it's kind of like whenever she's ready. And I think for my, my sisters both knew it was happening, but I don't think they were at terms with that yet. But I think it became known that she wasn't going to make it through the year. Like during Christmas, we had this one moment with our family where we just, we talked and we just hung out. And it was weird because our dad never cries. (laughs) So he kind of stepped away to the bathroom. And that's like when we kind of knew as a family that these last couple of months are like the last months with her. This is all very individual, but Vivian, what do you wish people would always remember to say during the treatments, when your mom died, and then the after? The biggest thing that I despised, I will use that word because it's a very strong word that I agree with. So you see what's going on with your parents and you're going through school. And if a select few do find out what's going on. The reason at that point why I hated the words like, oh, I'm so sorry, is because in that moment, your whole family's in the such fighting spirit. So to hear someone say, oh, I'm so sorry, it's like insinuating that the person you love is like already gone and that their fight is over. It's like a sign of defeat. And in that mindset, you're like, we're not done yet. We're still fighting. We're still going on. I don't know why you're giving me a sense of like defeat when we haven't even finished yet. And so that's why I did not like the word. I'm so sorry during that time. And I heard it so many times. And especially for me, as the older sister, once I took on responsibility, I was like, I, why is no one talking about, wow, like you can do this. I'm so proud of what you're doing. 
And because at that time, you're still a kid. So you need that sense of not approval, but a sense of encouragement because what you're going through is already something that is not what your best friend's going through. So you just need to know that like you're doing okay and you're doing a good job. And it's very easy as like the older sister to take over like a parental role in regards of I need to care of my mom. I need to care of my dad. I need to do something that will make their lives so much easier. So to hear, to have someone acknowledge that you're making an effort to help or just making an effort to make a better of a situation is something that would have definitely helped. Something I would have loved to hear at the time. I did have a really close family friend that would constantly tell me, you're so strong and you're doing such a good job and I'm so proud of you. And that's what kept me going. Not the, I'm sorry, or is there anything I could do for you? Those were sweet too. Having someone genuinely want to take action to help you in those moments is what mattered more to me than having someone say, I'm so sorry. Because at that time we were in the fighting spirits. I didn't need someone telling me that I'm close to the finish line. I needed someone to say that you're so strong. You need to keep going and don't forget like why you're doing this. When she died, I think the words that I needed were, I just needed support. And asking, what can I help you with? Or do you want to sit down and take a moment to just talk about what's happening? Because I think that, at least for me, I went into go mode with my father. Right after she died, I had maybe an hour or two to just sit there and cry. And then it went to, okay, we have to call the morgue. We have to call the funeral home. And this was the first time my dad and I were ever doing this. So we didn't have no idea of the processes and that. So that ended up taking like my entire chance to just sit down and just take a break to just think about what just happened and let those emotions out. So I think just having someone like acknowledge what was going on and just like giving like their support at the time meant so much more to me than like words of so sorry for your loss if there's anything I can do let me know it's no one at the time is going to personally reach out and say oh I need help with this it's more of okay I see you're going through this would you like me to xyz so having someone like actively see what you're going through then actively trying to do something about it I think during that time you hear a lot of words and so those words you become a robot you're like yes thank you thank you thank you thank you and I think that for me as like the kid at the time, I think I would have, I appreciated actions more at the time than words mm. for the when. And then the after, I think the after is a very big part because I think a lot of people tend to forget how strong you are and how strong your family is about the journey they went through. A lot of people only see what happens at the end, which was the death. So they, they kind of, I wouldn't say they take it away, but when someone walks up to you and says, I'm so sorry, like it, where someone is saying it out of pity instead of empathy, it takes this sense of strength away from you because their perspective of you starts to change back and it's seen as someone like, oh, they lost their mother. Oh, poor them this, poor them that. And it's, yes, I miss my mother dearly and that void will never be filled, but Look how far I've come. Look how far our family has come. Or what have ever happened doesn't define who I am. It happened to me, but it's not me. So having people acknowledge what happened and having empathy about it is so important for the after part. But making sure that it doesn't become like who someone sees you as. I think that's what any person at that time would appreciate so much more.
Is there anything you'd rather them have done differently? And what advice would you tell a kid like your younger self? Yeah. So I don't think I would tell my parents to do anything differently. Like I could be upset about their decision to misinform us with everything. But at the end of the day, we were all a team and our parents, like they're going through so much already and they're like fighting for their lives. And yet they put ours, like ours in front of theirs. So I can't really ask for anything more at that point because it's, I don't know how anyone does that, but I think for me, the one, like the advice I would give to myself younger is to find like a really good support group, find like someone to talk to about it because I, I sheltered those emotions a lot and it didn't help me in the end. So to find one person to talk to about it and find the person that makes you feel empowered from the situation, not feel down because of the situation. Your life is so different, but it's, yes, my life is so different, but that doesn't change like who I am. If anything, it makes me stronger because I'm able to do this normal, normal life while also making sure I coincide with the life that I've been given. This is for the advice of parents who have little or who have kids who are struggling with cancer. And it was something to say that we know how much you love us and we know how much pain and all of that is like going through you guys. Just like juggling between, I don't know what to do. Am I a good parent? I can't make it to certain events. Um, Sorry, this is emotional for me, but we know that you guys love us. And I think that because you guys are fighting so hard, but also thinking about the kids before you even think about yourself just shows like how unconditional the love is. And as a kid, like just knowing all of that, I didn't feel worthy of that love. I was like, how are you fighting for your life? But thinking about me. So parents out there, if you think you're stressed because you're not doing a great job, or you think that you're not a good parent because you can't do this, just know that like you are, you're doing so much more than you need to already by thinking about us and just know that the kids know and that we don't expect anything from you guys because although it not may not be like traditionally what most parents do and so don't forget that they know that you love them and that you're doing a great job and I just want to say that the kids will persevere through I did it I know I know from my experience with the kids at camp they will persevere through. And I know a lot of parents like have these worries and it's natural because as a parent, you're going to have those worries. Those are your babies, but just know that they're going to persevere and they're going to find a way to do it. This is something my mom always said. It was like, if there's a will, there's a way. And they're already, your kids are already so inspired by who you are and like what you're doing as a parent. So there's no challenges that they themselves can't overcome as well. So that's something to also keep in mind. Finally, we have Lisa's interview with Sarah and Steph Poland. Some of our listeners may know that Steph is an incredible senior program manager and project director at SHARE, who has done so much to support our podcast. Steph and her older sister both have chosen careers that support people living with cancer. They lost their mother to MBC, and they generously share here what it was like for them and what they've learned. I want to ask you, Sarah, how old were you when you learned of your mom's breast cancer? 
So I was 11 and Steph was nine and my mom was 41 years old, I believe at the time. I think it was right after Steph's ninth birthday was when they told us. She was diagnosed uh, metastatic from the start. Um, So our parents told us that's when everything happened. When you were told, Sarah, that your mother had cancer and that it had this name, metastatic breast cancer, did they use those words with you? I I don't even know if I remember. I do remember the word stage four being thrown around, but I don't. And they told us that it was in her bones, but I don't really remember understanding like what that meant exactly back then. And what about you, Steph? What do you remember from that conversation? So I was about nine and I, like Sarah said, I do remember like our parents sitting us down. I remember like vividly the living room Mm -hmm. of our house and them telling us that my mom had a cancer diagnosis. And Sarah said as well, I don't remember like the exact rhetoric that they use, whether or not it's like metastatic stage four. I just heard cancer and I knew it was bad. I also remember like sitting on the couch like our parents being like we do have to talk to you and my sister she loves to read and she was reading a book and I (laughs) yeah no and I remember that she was reading her book and our parents told us and that she like still had her book and continued to read the rest of the day and I'm quite more emotional (laughs) and I show my emotions a lot more so I remember crying a lot and, and yeah but I do remember them having this sit down conversation with us even though I definitely did not comprehend like the severity of the diagnosis how did she talk to you about it after they sat you down and gave you the information? I remember there being conversations about her needing to have surgery. And I know that we went and we stayed with our aunt, who was our mom's sister, when she ended up having the mastectomy and the surgery. And I know that she had said that she that there would be treatments and things like that. And Steph and I have talked about this, that she was like truly like, the world's most incredible, like strongest selfless person. She would go get like chemotherapy and treatments on her lunch break. And Steph and I were actually like fairly shielded from it. I would say I I wouldn't have known that my mom was getting chemotherapy because she just handled it with grace and strength. And I think our parents with us being so young really wanted to protect us from that. So they never hid anything, but I think a lot of their goals were to make sure that we we're happy and we were still kids and we didn't have to shoulder this burden with them. Yeah. And I really agree with Sarah. Like, I think they were very transparent with us in the beginning, like about her diagnosis. But again, I don't think we really understood what that meant. And then I think kids are very observant. And I think that what we would observe, because I think how strong my mom was, like, again, I think that's why we didn't understand the severity of it because people at work would commend her so much. She ended up going part-time, I believe working four days and like everyone in her company loved her and just, she worked up until like she had passed away. She would do everything. Like she would stay up late with us, with our homework. We were quite involved with basketball. She never missed a game. Really the day-to-day was very normal. I do remember some like bigger things and like some things that you could physically see. I remember her losing her hair and her telling us like she was going to lose our hair. And I, I remember that like really scared me because that physically like is a change. And so she would wear like a hat around the house sometimes. Yeah. She'll beanie. <laughs> and okay. 
Then she also had like lymphedema. So again, I also didn't know what that meant, but I knew that she had to wrap her arm at night. And I remember I would wrap the bandages every night. If I ever went for a sleepover, I'd make sure I did that before I left. It was like very important for me to do. Oh. And and then yeah, Sarah saying too, she she had a you know few surgeries throughout her diagnosis. She did. She, the cancer metastasized to her brain at some point. I couldn't even tell you when, but, and I, again, I wouldn't, didn't really know she was having like brain surgery, but I remember the gamma knife and I remember she had the two little like dots on her head after the surgery, the physical things we saw. But again, I don't think we ever knew how serious it was because she was just like so strong. I think it was important for them to just go on as normal for us, which sure. I, appreciate. I know it's a tough position for a parent. Mm-hmm. She lived with the disease for a long time because how many years did she have MBC then uh, with all the surgeries and chemo and everything? Um, like six or seven. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how old were you, Sarah, when you were noticing that this was more serious? That's such a that's such a great question because now as a doctor with the medical knowledge that I have, like looking back on it, I can make observations that I obviously didn't as a kid. I feel like when it went to her brain, that was a big shift for us. That was like a pretty big, like life-changing shift, even though it was already metastatic and it really doesn't change the prognosis ultimately. But I think that was big when she was having the brain surgery, we knew that was serious. But again, they operated, our parents operated in such like a united front of trying to be very positive for us. And I don't think we ever really talked about quite how serious it was and the implications of everything. And uh, I, I would say we really didn't even know how serious it was up until the end of everything. Yeah. I'd also agree with Sarah. I don't think I really understood it until the very end. I would say the last six months um, of her life were, were really hard. And I think it was again, very physically obvious what was happening and yeah, she had part of her face wasn't able to move, like her eye had an issue. Yeah. Yeah, she had issues with vision. She couldn't drive anymore. Uh, yeah. And I, I didn't yeah. know that at the time. But I don't that think was either of us really understood it at the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think at the end, that's when things had, you know, taken a turn and it was physically obvious. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think, and she had some hard times walking too. It was just, there were a lot of like home. Sure that were really hard to see. Yeah, but she still did everything. It's just in the, Sarah's in the process of getting recruited for college. Like she played college basketball and she was going on all these official visits for basketball. And my mom went on all, all the trips, all the schools. And so it was really mm-hmm. nice to be a part of that process because even that was, again, hard to do things. She was still always like very present. So I think that's, but that's still, I think when we became a little more aware. Sure. Did you feel like you could ask either one of your parents what's really going on? I think if I had asked, she would have told me, but I think I really, I think part of me really didn't want to know. I just remember always saying, oh, you're going to be around forever. Like I just, it was very, I think we were starting to realize how serious it was. And it was very hard for me to wrap my brain around and accept that. So I think there was definitely a part of me that just didn't want to ask. Did you ever show or demonstrate to your mom like curiosity about the cancer per se, like in a more analytical, intellectual way? Oh, let's talk about cancer and breast cancer and blah, 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 but not about your cancer and how it impacts you. And that makes me sad. Different thing, intellectualizing it versus the emotions of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially as someone who like, 
at that point, I, I knew that I wanted to go to medical school and I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And so I think I was actually like quite fascinated by the medicine and the science going on behind like everything that was happening. And she was at the Cleveland clinic, which is such a phenomenal hospital. And she was getting like all of these really cool treatments and she was getting these really surgeries. Mm -hmm. And I think like the part of me, this was my first exposure to medicine. The part of me that was inspired to become a doctor because of all of this was very interested in it. Like I really did keep it like personally disconnected from my emotions, which I do a lot at work as well, just to keep it separate. But I do remember, I think it was always easier, like our one-on-one conversations together. Cause I was just like, I was very close to my mom. She was my best friend in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think that just like having those like personal conversations, just the two of us where I think she tried to make things a little more real for me. She's like, oh, you like, you can't fight with your dad because one day it might just, you know, be you guys or something like that. It means so much to like, typical teenager just like butting heads with my dad I think about basketball and her just saying to me it really means like the world to me that you get along with your dad and that you guys are all like happy I feel like we never had like big conversations where she used like big words for me but I do feel like embedded into like our personal conversations so Steph did she say anything particular to you that you remember the only thing I remember is like she she said something along the lines of I don't even remember what we were doing, but she's, oh, I'm not going to be around forever. And that like really threw me off and upset me. And I feel, and I feel like that's also like she wanted to protect us and like, yeah, really preserve our childhood. And so I, yeah, I don't think there's like really anything she ever said. And like, she did keep us like up to date with like, again, like her, her surgeries. Like I remember she would write us like cards before the surgery and let us know everything was going to be okay. And yeah, and that's just like really the kind of person she was. Like, I do remember the last surgery she had. Again, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was for, but that's like when things like really took a turn and like she, she had some really bad aftermath from the surgery. And I also had the stomach flu and, and like my 15 year old self was like, I'm so sick. The world is ending. And my mom was like, so there for me. And she mm. might have been like some brains. I don't even know exactly what it was. It was a stent placement for her. Okay. And, and yeah, she was just like, so there for me. And that's, I think like a testament to how she was like our entire childhood, like always prioritized us. And looking back, it it does make me very sad that I wasn't more aware and like more like self-aware of what was happening. So I didn't realize that things had taken a big turn and I, but I appreciate that she was always there for us. Do you wish that your parents could have handled anything differently? It's a tough question. I won't speak for Steph, although I think like we've talked about this before. I think we were both extremely shocked when my mom died. It all happened very quickly. And I think we touched on this already. Like we ourselves should have been like more self-aware as to what was happening. I think we should have been aware how sick she But I actually really don't think we were explicitly told that by our parents. And so I do think we probably made it a little hard on them, but I do wish that they would have been more transparent because there are conversations that I like wish I could have had with her. What about you, Steph? I I completely agree with Sarah. I think that, I think my parents were very well aware of the reality and I guarantee like they had a beautiful relationship marriage. I guarantee you they talked about what was best for us, how to handle during and how to handle even after. And I wish, yeah, I wish that we could have been more part of those conversations because through her diagnosis was a interesting age for us. Cause we were like nine, 
11, which is pretty young still. But then when she had passed, we were 15 and 17, more aware of what was going on, old enough to really understand. And I just don't think that we were. And like Sarah said, I think even though she had the metastatic diagnosis, and I think even though it was really bad, and I still don't think we ever thought that she would pass away. And so it really surprised us. And it was really hard to understand and process a world in like which our mom wasn't in. And I think it was also um, really hard after too, because again, I'm sure my parents had these conversations and that was really like, especially on me because Sarah was a freshman in college. So she left, my mom had passed away and my, my dad within the year or two had started to date. And so he did sit me down. He was like, are you okay with this? And of course I was crying <laughs> and I was like, as, as I do. And I was <laughs> like, I want you to be happy. And I, and again, I know my mom and I, my mom was like, please find somebody, please. And, and my dad, the, who he started dating that time they just got married last year and they were Aww. dating for seven eight years and uh-huh. she's a lovely person like, like they're very good for each other and and I think but I think for again my like high school year old self to understand that it would have been like helpful to just understand the conversations they had because it was very hard for me to see at first even though I wanted my dad to be happy even though I <laughs> could imagine that's what my mom would want that's it was tough sounds like you both were not surprised, but shocked. So as she was rapidly declining, did she have hospice at home or was it in the hospital? It's about one day in the hospital. It was inpatient hospice. Yeah. She was in the hospital for about a week, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Course of everything. And it was like, just like a rapid decline. Rapid decline. Um, Were Were you able to go in and be with her? We were, but she like, wasn't very coherent. So we never got to have any conversations with her, I would say. Okay. Okay. We did not get to talk to her once we realized. Like, so I can see why you both were in shock because it was like all of a sudden and then that's it. What happened after that? What do you remember? How were you told? And then also what happened afterwards? So I was a senior in high school and Steph was a sophomore and it was our home, not our home opener. We were somewhere else, but it was our first game of our season and she had been moved to hospice I think that day and everything was very unsure we had talked with our dad and our family and the decision was ultimately made that we would go to the game and we would play in the game because that's where my mom would have wanted us and I truly do feel that like I just like knowing who she was she would have hated for us to see her like that and to be doing that and so we went and and we played in our basketball game and my dad came (laughs) and I like looked up in the stands and I see my dad get a phone call and I see him start crying and I just I know that she's gone and I'm on the court I'm playing and I just kind of sit down and I start crying and Steph is crying and everyone's crying the away team has no idea what's going on and they're all very confused and that was how we found out and I think we continued to play in the game and we won (laughs) And then I think we went home and my dad went to the hospital to take care of things. Wow. So beautiful. (laughs) How do you guys feel about it as a, it's a major part of your life history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it just, yeah, again, it was like a tough decision to make about what, what we should do. But my aunt, her sister was with, with my mom. And again, like basketball was always a big part of our lives. My mom was at every game until that day. And she was, 
And she just, I think, yeah, would really want us to be there. And, and I always say like basketball has since played a huge role in our lives. I think it like has kept us like focused and passed through like really hard parts and <clears throat> brought us like really good teammates. And yeah, I think playing in that game, it was definitely something my mom would want us to do. And it was like, it was just like a, all a surreal day because yeah, seeing my dad, it was, that was unbelievably difficult and seeing Sarah, but I've always looked up to Sarah. So <laughs> her like finishing the game and us finishing it together. And also Sarah was like the leading scorer. She like won that game. And it's like so crazy because we're not like religious people by any mm. means. I remember going home and we had a light and there were four lights and like one, it was like only three of them were working. Like one was out. And I remember we went home and we were like sitting in the kitchen and like the fourth light comes on. And I was like, it was just like really crazy to see. And again, like I'm not religious, but it was like this. And then, yeah, I remember the tights was her favorite movie. It was on. And it was just like that she was with us. Your family culture is so infused with basketball. So do you feel like your basketball family culture was part of how your family decided to communicate about cancer during and throughout your mom's cancer? I think so. Yeah. I think in some way, shape or form, like basketball always played like a big role in our family. And it was always a really good way to like bond us. It's how we spend like all of our weekends and all of our travel. Gosh, our parents gave up so much for us. (laughs) I can't imagine that. And then like, for example, Steph and I in high school put on like a hoops for the cure game and a bunch of money for breast cancer and stuff. And so I just think it was all very intertwined. And again, we really didn't talk about her cancer that often. And so I think for us to do something so public, like for her cancer was like a very big deal for us. I think it meant a lot to her. And I think it speaks to a little bit of that culture that you were talking about. Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, we did that in high school. And I think that was a really good opportunity for us and our team to do something. And we actually used the proceeds um, to walk in the Susan G. Komen three-day walk. Mm -hmm. So we actually did that after my mom had passed for a few years with us two, my dad, and then my aunt, her sister. Sure. And it was just something that we could do to help commemorate my mom. But I also think even after too, I think like for me personally, it was something I used to like cope with the grief was like staying busy and like being involved in basketball. Like for me, it really helped to still basketball that way. Of course. So I'm going to ask each of you the same question. Given your experience, what would you advise a parent today with a 9 and 11-year-old and then 15 and 17-year-old when they're dealing with MBC? Yeah, I think that's a hard question. Is It is really dependent on yeah, like the, the age and then like the like progressions because I think as so when we were first like 9 and 11, I do think what we were told was important. I think like having that conversation where like you sit your kids down and you explain, this is the diagnosis. This is what's going to happen to my body. This is how I'm going to respond. These are the realities. I think that's really important just because again, kids are observant. They're going to know, they're going to notice change. And so I think it's important to be upfront at least to some capacity of what's going on. And then I think as you get older too, because again, I think that's where we wish we knew more as we got older and things got worse and the disease had metastasized to other areas. Like 
because I don't have any like memory of them explaining like it has metastasized to the liver, the the brain. Um, and I, and it's hard, it's like hard to say too, because I, I can imagine it was so difficult for them. And I feel like they, they wanted to let us know what we needed to know and then continue on like our happy, nice childhoods. So I do appreciate that, but I, yeah, I think especially as we got older, just to really know. And I think like talking about death, it's like really hard and and it's hard to say. Cause it's like, as a nine-year-old, like, I don't think I would want to know that my mom was not going to make it, but I think you have to use that, that, that word and like that language, because that's, that, that may happen and it may happen within the next couple of years. And I think it's important to know that's coming because I think that really led to like why we were so shocked because we just never thought that would happen. Right. Right. And what about you, Sarah? Yeah. I think what popped into my mind um, was exactly what Steph said. Like I would say, don't be afraid to change the conversations that you're having with their kids as they change because yeah, gosh knows those were like such big years for us in terms of we were just not the same people when it all ended as when it began. And so trying to tailor your conversations to where your kids are now and having it be a constant conversation, having not just having that first time be what it is. Mm -hmm. And then just as something else for me personally, what I've seen, like some of the cancer doctors that I've worked with say sometimes to, to families is like recording like videos and stuff or like writing letters. I had that brought up recently. I think that just like for, this is just for me personally, would have meant like the mm-hmm. absolute world to have like a video or a letter of my mom to open on my wedding day when I get married in two months or like when I have a kid, like I just, it's so hard to think of these things. I cannot imagine like being in, like her shoes and having to deal with what she went through. It's just, I really can't. And whatever, but all the other patients go through, it's so hard. But that's one thing that's like recently stuck with me as I go through my training is those kind of memories are like things that you like can't get back and would have meant like the world. That's great advice. Great advice. <laughs> oh. What do you, Steph, think about as your mother's like, greatest gift or legacy to you yeah I definitely think it's the way she treated people and her empathy towards people anyone you would ever speak to that knows her would say that she was just the most like kind considerate giving person and would do anything for anybody and I just think the mark she left on people is so beautiful and I think that's like a a big reason Sarah and I do what we do like I work in the cancer world Sarah is looking to be an oncologist I think because we want to keep our mom's like legacy alive and we want to be in that space to help other people and yeah I just think the way she was towards other people if I can emulate that in any way is a goal what about you Sarah oh can I see my sister I just see so much of my mom and my sister and just like her her unbelievably like caring and selfless spirit and and Steph looks a lot more like my mom than I do too and just look at what you're doing and look at your job and look at all the great things that you're doing for people and I I think a lot of that's because of mom and because of what we went through and you're helping so many other people because of her and I think that's really beautiful. Do 
This podcast was produced by Natalia Green and Lisa Laudico. The NBC and Parenting Series has been expertly steered by our wonderful podcast team members, Martha Carlson, Ashley Fernandez, and Linda Weatherby. Special thanks to Jamil Rivers and Deltra James for participating in the interviews with their kids. Expert sound design by Bill Smith. Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Senior Director of Patient Services and Education at Share Cancer Support. You can find more episodes of RMBC Life wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us, and look for a new episode every week. Check out our blog and full episode notes on our website at rmbclife.org. We'd love to hear from you.